Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, as I've pointed out in the past, one of the remarkable things about our current culture is that at the same time leading scientists say that the paranormal is impossible, 75% of the American public believes in it anyways. Now, my own view is that the failure to account for the paranormal counts as one of the great deficiencies of our current scientific paradigm. And we've talked about the paranormal from a wide range of perspectives, from the quantum theorist perspective, we talked about spooky action at a distance and quantum waves. We've talked about it from the spiritualist perspective, uh, whether it's a holographic view or, or the notion of there being one mind. But today we're going to take a little different perspective. We're going to take a Mormon view of the paranormal. And it turns out that the Church of the Latter-day Saints, which is the another name for Mormonism, has its own view of the paranormal. So when today's guest, Daniel Johnson, contacted me about giving the Mormon perspective, I was intrigued uh, for two reasons. First, we it's always good to learn a little bit more about Mormonism and take down some of the misperceptions many people might have. And it's also good, I think, to get a different perspective on what we call the paranormal. And let's not forget that we almost had a Mormon president in Mitt Romney. So Daniel Johnson is the principal author of An LDS Guide to Mesoamerica and the new An LDS Guide to the Yucatan. He's an active elder in the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints and has taught Mormon gospel doctrine classes for about six years. As a missionary in Argentina, he's had a lot of opportunity to explain Mormon belief to others and has has appeared on a number of radio shows. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Okay, well, thanks a lot for joining us, and I think that, you know, part of the purpose of this show is to open minds, and I think that we could do some op some mind-opening here. First of all, uh, what what are... Let's, let's talk about the big picture for a second. What are some of the principal beliefs of Mormonism? Uh, great, that's... That, that is a um, a big topic right there. Could, could um, I guess go all day on that, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, first of all, the name of our church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that is an important thing to us. So primary is that we do consider ourselves Christians. We believe in salvation through Jesus Christ. There are some um, Christian faith that do not consider us uh, Christians, but um, we certainly consider our, ourselves that. And um, major things for us would be uh, the importance of uh, a family, the importance of a personal relationship to God. We also believe in additional scripture. So it, uh, besides the Bible, we also have um, additional scripture like the Book of Mormon, 
which is why people call us Mormons. So um, we also believe in um, trying to be actively engaged in the community, do lots of good works to take care of ourselves, to take care of people. And there is um, a, um, I guess, perhaps a, a work ethic um, among Mormons. Um, always tend to be you know, engaged in good causes and trying to better uh, the community if they can. And um, we, we have a very eternal view of, of our own nature and of how we fit into, into the, the existence and that we believe in an afterlife, we believe in an existence before this life, and that this mortality we're in is, is very important and, and also is um, a very beneficial thing. Yeah, I want to I want to pause here for a second and just and just note something that when you read about different religions, it really is remarkable uh, how little um, separates many of the great, at least the great Western religions. It's always been remarkable to me, for example, that you know the Muslims believe that uh, Muhammad was a prophet in the line of the biblical prophets and that the Quran is sort of a continuation of the revelations uh, from the Bible and then of course the Christians don't believe that and the Jews don't believe that and of course the Jews don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah or that the New Testament should be part of the Bible and then I think one of the issues with, with uh, the Church of the, of the Latter-day Saints uh, Daniel, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that the Orthodox Christians don't accept later day revelations. Is, uh, yeah, is, is that's that true, and that's something that is very important for us. Right. It's, it's really all uh, our, from, the, from our, our founding and how we fit into things really is the belief in modern day revelation and that God can continue to reveal things um, you know, if he so chooses. Yeah, and I think that, that that's really important because the concept itself, and, and looking at this, it's so hard to talk about religion without finding ourselves in belief boxes. But from, from the conceptual standpoint, I myself never really accepted the absolute rule that there cannot be additional revelations. I mean, I don't, it's one thing to say that the Bible was a revelation or contains revelations, but to say that there can never be another one in the history of the world seems to be jumping to conclusions and it's fine it's fine whether you accept them or not but i think from a conceptual level uh, it to me it never made a lot of sense so so in terms of in terms of spiritual beliefs now you touched upon the afterlife a little bit what are some distinctions say between uh jesus christ uh the church of jesus christ of the latter-day saints and christianity what are some other distinctions? Well, that could be um, uh, a big answer there, because I think especially if you're talking about spiritual nature or the afterlife, right. you're not going to find a consensus of belief among Christians. Yeah. So in, in some ways we might be the same or similar to some, in some ways we might be very different. And, and our belief is that this, our, our theology, our doctrine, isn't based on, on, on tradition or the evolution of thought, but actually is revelation, uh, additional revelation, and it certainly makes sense to me that, that we would need that. But we believe that, um, that um, all people have a spirit, have a spirit body, and that the spirit uh, is eternal, so that that spirit existed before we were born, 
it inhabits a mortal body during our lives, and at death, the spirit and the body separate. And the spirit continues existing. And so, if the body sleeps at death, the spirit does not. And so the spirit continues existing, and there are many things that we need to do after this life. We also believe in a physical resurrection, so that someday all mankind will be resurrected, and that the spirit and the body will be joined again as one into a perfect form. What's the, what's the LDS view of reincarnation? Uh, good question, and this, this does, topic does tend to come up in, in these types of conversations. Uh, we don't believe in a reincarnation. We believe in a one incarnation per individual. But I think there are some, some concepts of, re, of reincarnation that we would agree with, and that is the idea that we existed before this life and that where we are born and the situation to which we are born was to some degree dependent upon who we were and what we did before this life. And that while this life is very crucial um, in a lot of our eternal destiny or eternal ends might rely upon this mortal life right now, there will be much more to do after this life. But we would, we would, we would say that each person, each individual, only gets one incarnation or one physical birth, and that makes this mortal life so much more important. Yeah, you mentioned something that sounded a little bit like karma. Mm-hmm. What's what's where does karma fit in if any if if anywhere into this picture? Well, uh, not a term that we use, so I don't really know that it fits in. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, our belief is that um, we ble- we have a term we call foreordination, so that we existed as spirit children of God before birth, and we progressed to certain levels, and we were ordained to do certain things uh, in mortality. And so our, our time of birth, our position of birth, whatever, where it happens, what happens, is not accidental. And so there, there is a, a mission or a calling for each person to kind of find its way through life. And um, that, you know, that may be things that we had agreed to uh, earlier on. Um, but that each one of us has the free agency, the will to to accept that, to reject that, to, to, to choose our own path, even though there might be uh, a path that, that we might go on. But the more importantly, that this, this mortality is a time for us to really learn as much as we can and to take that with us into the next life. And that will give us, however much we can learn in mortality, will give us an advantage in the life to come. Okay. And, you know, your personal development, that's really all you can take with you. Okay, so the the life to come is a spiritual existence? Well, initially, because when we die, our spirits and bodies are separated, and right. we will live in a spirit world. Right. Um, until, until, like I say, the, the resurrection. We believe in a physical resurrection because of Jesus Christ. And so that, as Jesus Christ was the first model of that, our spirits and our bodies will, at some point, come together again in a perfect form, and that is so we believe in a physical resurrection uh, and so the end the result the end goal is that all people who've been born upon this earth will be resurrected and have a physical eternal existence on on the same planet or on a different uh, plane of existence uh, that's a good question um, for many Christians and even other monotheistic religions, there's the idea of, of, of heaven and hell 
as a final destination. And, and we don't quite have that concept, but we believe that there are what we call degrees of glory. There are three degrees of glory, three spheres or three places um, that are de destined for, for mankind. And so depending upon what path you wanted to follow, how much you wanted to return to God, there are three degrees of salvation, actually, um, d designed for people. And so, um, you know, there's, there's, we have names for these, and there's, there's, there's a higher one, there's a middle kingdom, and there's a lower kingdom. And so we would actually look at these as being physical locations, perhaps planets, we refer to them as kingdoms, but um, uh, basically something designed, you know, to be an exact match for what what path individual people take in their lives. I have a funny feeling that if you follow the ways of Mormonism uh, and, and are, an, are an obedient um, adherent to Mormonism, you're going to wind up in a higher kingdom. Well, that is, um, that is of course, our thought. We're not that exclusive. Um, and the idea is that if there are rules or regulations or certain things we need to find out, that God reveals that to people so they're not lost, left in the dark completely. And of course, it's up to people's own use of faith as to whether they believe it or follow it or not. But our, our belief is that this opportunity will be given to everyone. So everyone will have the opportunity to, to know and understand this and accept it or reject it. And for those who never have the opportunity in lifetime, they lived in a time or a place in which, you know, they didn't know anything about Jesus Christ, they didn't know anything about the, the, the full amount of those gospel scriptures, that they will have an opportunity after this life. So we do believe that, uh, that um, in this way, God provides an opportunity for all of his children, so none will be left out saying, hey, I never had a chance. I see. Well, one of one of the well, let me first comment upon the reincarnation, and I, I ask the question because it's remarkable to me how close some of these belief systems are. We've had a couple people on this show who talk about reincarnation from the Eastern religion standpoint and karma, and both of those principles, as you know, uh, Daniel, are come out of of uh, Eastern religion uh, yes the 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 Hinduism and and Buddhism primarily and in that sense they believe that let's let's say there's one spirit it evolves through time it develops karma it builds karma and it produces different physical forms and at some point one one living thing might be reincarnated as another living thing uh, and you go through the cycle of rebirth, and the object of some some of, of the Eastern religions is to escape from the will of rebirth and enter uh, nirvana. Uh, right. But it but it seems to me that that uh, that Mormonism, and it's it's similar to some Christian beliefs. This is not. I mean, I was raised Christian. This is not. This is not that different than some Christian beliefs, as you as you point out, where where the body dies the spirit continues uh, you you folks i think are much more explicit about the resurrection where uh -huh. where i where i think that there's many christian 
beliefs or or um, adherents that would also believe in a similar type of resurrection because Jesus Christ being being the model uh, the idea is is that that will be repeated for other folks um, and you know I think it, it is it is really interesting because if you compare compare the two belief systems you have the Eastern peoples believing that there is an eternal spirit evolving and it goes into different forms where where the Mormon or in Christian belief just sort of goes off a little different tangent and believes that there will be a physical a physical resurrection so it's not it's really not that different uh, you know you're, you're common they're, they're common in the sense that spirit is eternal this is Philip Merton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're having a very uh, interesting discussion here with Daniel Johnson who is a active elder in the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints and we're talking about some some of the belief systems of that church also known as Mormonism and we're going to be weaving in the the Mormon view of the paranormal so Daniel the other thing I wanted to focus on a little bit here and to me this is something that is becoming more and more prevalent in our modern day where we're having people address these topics more openly for example on this show and the uh, this concept of multiple kingdoms to me it it raises some it raises a very basic question about are we talking about a real planet like the planet Earth where people are going to be walking around resurrected? Are we talking about another planet? Are we talking about a spiritual world in a different dimension or something? What what's your what's your read on that? That's a, a good question, and I certainly don't deny the possibilities of different dimensions and how that might figure into all of this. But as opposed to say kind of a, of a general Christian view of heaven, as opposed uh, that's you know a place in the clouds and someplace sort of ephemeral, right. or the idea of of uh, of, of a, an immaterial God that fills the universe, we view these these ideas as being physical and actual so that these kingdoms will be actual physical places, that physical resurrected bodies will need a physical plane uh, to, to live on. And right. so we view the abode of God as being an actual physical place located somewhere, and that the things we're doing in the body in this life are in many ways sort of a, a practice for the life to come. So yeah. hopefully that answers your, your well, question. Well, I think, I mean, from a very practical standpoint, and, you know, I, I have, I mean, each of us sort of approaches these things from a different perspective, and and it's, it's, a, it's a, to me, it's a very interesting topic because it, they're, they're big issues, but it's sort of like trying to make sense of it because I... I think there's one thing that cannot be, well, there's a lot of things that can't be doubted, but one of them that cannot be doubted is that we have 100% certainty that we're sitting here right now having this conversation. I mean, there is no doubt that we are having this conversation and, we are, and, we're, um, and we're doing it over Skype and it's being recorded for a podcast. The, 
the, to think that there is another world, and I, I have to say, whether it's uh, heaven up in the sky or whether it's another planet or another dimension, we really don't have any certainty at all whether such a different world exists. And, and I realize that there's faith involved here. And, and so th that's something that there's nothing wrong with it except that, uh, to me, there's nothing that beats certainty or, there, or there's nothing as certain as the fact that we're, we're sitting here. And so any other existence, to me, is, is, is conjecture, is conjecture. But in your own mind, do, do, you, do you believe that th one of these kingdoms will be the planet Earth in the future? Actually, yes. Yeah. Um, so our doctrine is that that this current Earth that we're on will become eventually transformed and celestialized and will become the, the highest kingdom, the kingdom yes. we know as the celestial kingdom. Yes. So that uh, it will actually be a physical plane of existence, that yeah. God creates things for a definite purpose. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's got to be the case because, again, it goes... Hand-in-hand uh, hand with the notion that sometimes we don't appreciate what we have and mm -hmm. we and you know and we have a miraculous universe here a world that that supports billions of people uh, The Sun and the stars and the food and all this and it's just like well, what do you want you now now you want? Another planet where you're gonna really do it right next time. I mean it's sort of like let's let's get it right one time and then maybe we'll go and and colonize another planet or something. But but to me, what is so important is really the ethical part of this, uh, and and that's what I'd like to just talk a little bit about about what you said earlier, because I'm sure a lot of people are concerned. And frankly, it's whether it's the uh, the the Mormon system or whether it's Christian or whether it's Muslim, they're concerned about well. If you're not part of that doctrine or part of that school of thought, you're basically out of luck. And in other words, unless you follow the precepts of whatever of whatever religion is carrying the day, you're going to wind up in a lower kingdom. You're going to wind up in hell, or you're going to, you know, slide off the face of the earth somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so, because what you said earlier, I thought was important, which is that that this this uh, allocation or this placement in one of the kingdoms is is really open to anybody you know is that that's can you elaborate upon that a little bit oh certainly as i said i mean uh, our goal specifically is that we're looking for the highest kingdom we also believe that there are various levels within the kingdoms and so the highest level within the celestial kingdom what many would refer to as heaven we refer to that state as exaltation and so there are certain requirements one has to go through, and some of them will actually have to happen after this mortal life is over. But the idea really is that you can't look at any one group of people and kind of say, okay, here's where you'll, you'll end up. Uh, I, you can't look at any one person and say, okay, you're, you're in heaven, you're in hell, um, because of where you, you know, where you happen to you write your name down at a certain uh, point. That it's all open. And so we believe the we are saying salvation is free. You can choose whichever you want. Um, many people, you know, would not choose the highest kingdom because it just doesn't suit them, or it's 
it would take an effort they don't want to give. But it, it is open to everyone, and it, because God is fair and equal, even though it doesn't, from our point of view, we don't always see that, but that every person born upon this earth will, at some point in time, either during lifetime or afterwards, have the opportunity to know and understand all this and choose what he or she wants to do. But that these other lower kingdoms, if you will, are not awful places. We believe even the lowest one is so much more beautiful and greater than our current earth we live on. And so the, basically the idea is kind of, you know, what, what are people prepared to do? Where do they want to be? We don't believe anyone's going to be consigned to a place where they don't want to be, where they feel that a mistake was made. They're going to go where they feel most comfortable. They're going to go where they want to be. And that God, we believe, is our Father, our Heavenly Father, has arranged all of this so that his children will have a place that works for them, even in our society. You know, not everyone wants to be a doctor. Not everyone wants to be a car mechanic. Not everyone wants to be, you know, whatever. So we have all these things we can choose, and so there are these final destinations based on um, just the individual nature of, of us. Yeah, let me, let, me say, let me just say here what I think is a great flaw of many religious belief systems. And this is, not, this is not just Mormon, this is virtually all of the Western religions. And that is, and, I, and I'm not even sure whether this would apply to what you've said, but I think it's important that we, we try to, the religious leaders, they try to tell people what they need to do in order to improve their future state of existence, whether it's going to heaven, going to the top kingdom, being saved, having salvation, whatever it is. But the only entity that could really make that decision is, is God or is this higher spirit. And we and I don't see how an individual can possibly know the mind of God such that he or she could put themselves into the position of this higher being. So it's to me, it's always it's I think I think it, it leads to humility. I think that's what the answer is. And we could try our best to guess. And we know mm -hmm. that, you know, and we know that morality, the golden rule is is got to be correct and important. But I, I really think we, we need to be careful if we, if we pretend to put ourselves in a position of a higher consciousness, a higher being, and, and tell people what this higher being uh, really means. So, so, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, and I, I may be the only one, frankly, who has that view, but it's always, it's always something that's bothered me because it seems like it's an internal contradiction. Well, I, I, I would tend to agree to, to, to some point, and I think it was because of this um, that uh, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, taught about you know the evils of, of judging others. And so uh, none of us could, uh, and that's why I'm saying I have no idea where any one individual is going, going to end up, and I would not pretend to, to guess, because it's all going to rest before the judgment bar of, of God. And that really is, is the most important thing, is the individual's relationship to God, and, and that, that you're really trying you know, your best based on what knowledge you have. Yes. So th there are some things that I think are, are left we will not know, and that are mysterious. Our belief is that we can, in some point, at least as far as our limited capabilities can fathom, 
we can know some parts of the mind of God if it is revealed to us. We believe that God can speak to individuals directly and give them direction in their lives. We believe that just as in the Old Testament times, God can speak to prophets and tell, give a message to them that that's how he can let his will be known. Um, so we believe in that, but then also that you know the, the, the personal relationship with God is, is really key. And that's, you know, no one individual can really pronounce judgment on another as far as to that person's, you know, eternal, uh, eternal well-being. You know, but the big question here is how do you tell a real prophet from a false prophet? I mean, that... That's a good one, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe there have been a lot of false prophets, and they keep coming up. Um, and uh, I think there was a key to that that was given um, in, in the Bible and the something we believe as well, and that is that by your fruits you shall know them. Yeah. And so, if a person purports to be a prophet of God, what type of individual is that person? What is he doing as opposed to what is he just saying? What are the results of his sayings and teachings? What are his followers doing? Um, and we also believe that each person born on this earth is given with him a, a, a spirit of light that he can, if he really tries, recognize this. We call it the light of Christ. Some people call it a conscience or an inner voice. And so that that can be a key as well to let you know if what someone who is saying if purports to be a prophet, if there's any validity to that. And, and I, I would certainly admit that it's not always easy. Many people that have been very uh, honest have been, I think, led astray by false prophets. Yeah, yeah this, this is Philip Mirton, and this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're, we're talking about Mormonism and its perspective on many things, including the paranormal, and we're right now on this very, very key distinction between false and real prophets. Now, Daniel, this is, this is I think, a very important point, this uh, distinction between false and real prophets, because what I think is interesting about this topic is that it leads to a scientific inquiry, because one, to me, one test of whether a prophet is true or false is whether what he or she says comes true. Yeah, but that's a key from, from the not, Bible as well. Not only in the real world, but for, for yourself. I mean, it, it could be that you, you will feel better about yourself or you'll reach a higher state of consciousness or, or you'll, you'll be a happier person. I mean, it's, and this is, what, this is where I think, and we, I want to talk about science a little bit in, in a couple minutes, but this is where we really have something, an, an overlap. And I always think about the state of Missouri being the show-me state. You know, it's, 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 you know, prove it kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and maybe the proof uh, is not going to be the type where you can get your ruler out, get your scale out, and measure it, and, and say, oh, yeah, well, they proved that this was a real prophet. But there's certain things that you can tell are true. I mean, for example, I think one reason Jesus Christ is such a powerful figure in history is not necessarily 
all the things he said and he did and rising from the dead and all that, but the powerful effect he's had on people. And he must have said something right. He must have done. He must have done something that resonated with millions and, bil- and billions of billions of people. To me, that is very significant, because because if you look at something like James Jones, you know the guy that uh, poisoned all those people in Ghana, whenever it was in the eighties. Uh, French French Guyana. Yeah. Ghana. Yeah. Okay. French Guyana. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and that's just one. I mean, I haven't done a study on the false prophets, but. But where where do where do you come down on this in terms of 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 using proof? I mean, is that important for for the Mormon view of things? I, I think so, and, and and proof I think uh, in, in, in an individual sense, because as you said, you'll never get out your ruler and and you know go through the equations and say, yeah, here we go, you know, without a doubt, false, without a doubt, true. So it is an individual kind of type of thing, and we would say to to test the prophet, test the teachings, test the spirit that comes from what he's saying, and we believe that the honest seeker can know truth and, and ask of God. And for us, the real proof, the final proof, comes uh, from God as a direct revelation to the individual. We refer to this as as a testimony, one that is not empirical. And it's hard to really maybe explain it to someone else, but something that when it does hit the individual, when it hits you, you, you really know, you feel that there's been a direct um, uh, a revelation of truth about, about a certain matter. And so um, because there are you know, many people who you could call false, false prophets who are deceiving, maybe some are doing this... Um, consciously and are trying to, maybe some are not, they're just, they're just mistaken what they're doing. It is important to, to, to try these things and to, um, to really gain that personal conviction. And for us, the personal conviction is something that is revealed from God and, and does not come from just believing on what someone says or working it out logically, although that is important, but the true personal conviction we believe is revealed from God. Now, are there, are there, um, existing prophets does the revelation continue in in mormonism are there still revelations uh coming out or does the well, book of did, or does the book of mormon capture capture them for that time period and, have, and there haven't been any since then i mean what about ones coming after the book of mormon yeah well, that's a great question the book of mormon for us is actually ancient scripture so we believe and many people have heard about joseph smith the Book of Mormon came through him. He didn't write it, but he translated it, and the Book of Mormon is actually ancient scripture in a similar way to the Bible is. So it's not necessarily new and contemporary, but it was ancient scripture that was put together exactly for what's needed for our day. So in addition to the Book of Mormon, we have additional books. We have a number of revelations that were given to Joseph Smith about organizing the church, about restoring authority from God, about all these types of questions being answered. And so we believe that revelation continues, and that after he was murdered, and of course, isn't what you said about you know the 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 the, the good behind Jesus, and that after he was murdered, the the enemies of Mormons thought that was it; they were putting into it that you 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 um, kill the head of the snake, and the snake dies. But the, the movement continued, and so that after Joseph, there was another prophet, and that continues to this day. 
we have a current prophet, we have a group of 12 apostles, and um, we have a particular canon of scripture. Uh, so that hasn't been added to in a while because many of the main procedural questions have been answered. But we have um, twice a year, there's a general conference for the entire world in which our, our apostles and the prophet and other um, leaders get together and give inspired messages. And so we believe these are kind of up-to-date revelations, if you will, for issues that we're facing um, right now that can give us the guidance we need and, and know how to, uh, how to deal with issues that are coming up. So we believe the heavens are still open and that we do have a prophet who is um, able to receive what we need to know. We haven't actually added to the scripture um, in, in, in quite a while, but we do believe that possibility exists should we need to. Now, who's the, who's the current prophet? His name is Thomas Monson, and um, the prophet is the person who is the, we call him the, the presiding apostle. So we have what we call a quorum of 12 apostles, and then we have the, what we call the first presidency, which is the prophet, and then two, um, uh, two counselors. So we, we consider all of these uh, men to be apostles, and the prophet is the presiding or the, or the chief apostle. Uh, and that we, we confirm them as revealers, as prophets uh, uh, of God, and we sustain them um, in general church meetings. And these are the people that speak during our general conferences and that give kind of the, you know, whatever direction the church might need, um, you know, day to day. Who, d who decides who the Twelve Apostles are? That's a good question. Um, it's not really a quick answer, but basically... Uh, our belief, and this, this might be some good clarification, is that our church really isn't new, that it did not begin in 1830 with Joseph Smith, but rather that he restored what was the ancient apostolic church that Christ himself set up. So our belief is that, you know, the church didn't start at that time, but that it is a, a restoration of what existed anciently, as opposed to any type of reformation or something new. But as Jesus chose his original disciples and then set some apart to be apostles, that that same method happens today. So, for example, that, that, um, that we believe that Joseph Smith was called to be a prophet from God, that he didn't, it wasn't an idea he had on himself, and that he was guided, um, directed to divinely select a group of apostles. And then from then on down, as, uh, as an apostle dies, then the group of apostles come together and pray about who should be the next one, and we believe they are divinely led to pick someone who will, be, who will fill that position. And so it kind of keeps perpetuating it, it itself uh, in that manner. And that there is a, a, a chief apostle who has kind of been the one who, who has been there the longest, and that when the president of the church dies, that person becomes the next prophet or presiding apostle, and then he's, he's um, affirmed as such by all the members of the church, and then the apostles would meet together and choose one to fill the vacancy. Is there, well, it's sort, of, it's sort of, so in other words, it continues, well, it continues Joseph Smith's sort of group of apostles and it's been it's been handed down essentially in this manner since since that 
That that's our belief. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, what what would be like if someone who's you know we're used to the Pope. So what's the, what's the is there a similarity between the prophet in Mormonism and the Pope? Is it the same kind of position or is it different? Um, differences and similarities in that um, in the, the Catholic view of authority is somewhat similar to what to what ours is. I mean, they believe in an unbroken line that goes back to Peter. Right. Uh, and, and our belief is that would be necessary, but that the line was broken, that Peter, the chief apostle, never um, handed off his authority, and so that was lost and had to be restored. But um, our, there, there is no campaigning as far as who's going to be the next prophet or who's going to fill the vacancy of the, of the, uh, the apostles. Um, it, it's just that the, if, if uh, when... Uh, an apostle dies, and they tend to be, you know, fairly uh, old men. So when one dies, they would meet together and and pray about it. And our belief is that uh, the um, that they would be divinely led to pick a uh, a new one from um, uh, from general authorities that have already been picked, people that are in seventy or other pe- uh, um, leadership positions. So, um, like, say some similarity. Our belief is definitely that it is guided by the hand of God, so the person picked is the person that God would want to be picked, and there's no sort of campaigning or voting or kind of arguing back and forth. Here's my guy, I want you to pick him, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, frankly, I I would, I don't know if I could actually believe that there's no such thing as politicking, maybe it's, but whether there is or is not, it's not really that important. It's similar to the way... I guess the bishops select a pope, although, you know, and frankly, I do not know the inner workings of how that's done. Except, it's all done behind I, locked doors. Right, right, right. I don't think anybody knows. But, yeah. but and, there, and there could be campaigning, for all I know, but it sounds very similar, so it's not as if it's that different. It's just sort of an updated version of the same thing. It seems to me. Yeah, I would say some differences and some similarities. Yeah. Um, as an example, um, if you look at the, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, uh, obviously, there was a um, a position open because Judas had killed himself. So, when the church was organized, the apostles were meeting. They had a group of 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 all their followers together. They actually chose a successor to be an apostle in in um, Judas's place. If you read the account in Acts, there were two names they were deciding on, and it kind of makes it. Um, uh, it kind of makes it clear that the person picked was the person they felt through Revelation should be the apostle to, to take his place. And so we be- would believe that a similar or an updated thing would, would, would happen. Um, um, but then it would be, you know, without politicking and, and, and that type of thing, but that, you know, they would meet together and, 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 and talk and pray and wait for the inspiration and that you know, the new person to pick would be, you know, something they would unanimously agree upon. I take it these are full-time jobs. I mean, I'm not being I'm not being facetious, but I take it this is a mm-hmm. this is this is this is their function. And 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 there's uh, how many people are in the Jesus Christ Church of the Latter Day Saints? It's millions, isn't it? It's yeah, the the like the actual membership. Yeah. Um, there, I I should know this. It's I don't know if it's past seven or eight million or a bit more. Right. There's kind of a of a 
once a year there's kind of an account given of how many members and how many localities and all that but yeah certainly it's worldwide there are more members outside the united states than are in the united states and and you're right that the position of an apostle is a full-time thing and so most of these men are up in years they're retired or whatever Something in contrast to that is there are a lot of, of local leaderships. A local congregation will have a bishop. He will have his counselors. There will be someone over him. All of that is by people who are volunteering their time. So we don't have a paid clergy. These are people who are called to a position, and they have their jobs, they have their families, and they do this um, just simply out of their own time because they believe it's something to do, but they're not paid for it. So we don't have any... We're, we don't have any type of seminary where people study to become um, an ecclesiastical leader and then can do that as a job. That's something that, that, that we don't have at all. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Now, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about resurrection, which is one of the most fascinating topics, I think, in in the religious uh, sphere because it's such a it's such an amazing idea. And mm-hmm. one, of, one of the... the the issues I've always had with resurrection, and and this is leaving aside Jesus Christ, but where are all these people going to go? I mean, it's very, it's sort of like a where are all these people going to wind up? I mean, if everybody is resurrected, then we're going to have too many people on on the planet Earth. Right. Well, the, the the planet Earth is not their final destination. I see. As I said, in our theology, there are three kingdoms. Yeah. There may be three planets, and so um, that's these are the the kingdoms designed for the people of this earth as a final habitat after the resurrection, based on the path they chose and based on where they really want to to end up, what they really want to do, so that the earth becomes the highest kingdom, and there would be uh, others for those who didn't really want to do what was necessary or just that that place wasn't for them. And we believe that these will actually be places where there are a lot of of of, uh, of benefits, and we've actually have a lot of doctrine about what happens in each kingdom and kind of what it's for. But yes, that the, I mean, that goes back to our idea of of three kingdoms or degrees of glory. That's where people will be ending up after the resurrection. So now, is the resurrection going to occur at one particular time? In other words, it all ha- like a day of judgment. It's, it it all happens at once, and then the the earth is converted, or or does it happen over time, like a you know like a wheel of rebirth? Well, we believe that the resurrection has already begun. It started yeah. with Jesus Christ, right. and that he was the first one resurrected. In fact, he was the first one, only one who could be resurrected, and that people have been resurrected since his time. Hmm. And, um, for example, um, getting back to a little bit with the idea of, of the paranormal, a, a big part about the, the, the start of our church and the story of Joseph Smith has to do with angels and ministering spirits, and, and this conduit opened up between the world of spirit and heaven and, and man. But that the, the um, um, people who wrote in the Book of Mormon, who are ancient prophets, who lived in the American continent, the last one who actually sealed up the record appeared as an angel, as a resurrected being, to instruct Joseph Smith and to give him the record. This would be the gold plates many people have heard of, right. that he translated the Book of Mormon from. So we believe that certain righteous individuals have already been resurrected 
for whatever purposes that might need to be. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Daniel Johnson, who is an active elder in the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And we're talking about resurrection and Mormonism. And this, this is something, I want to get a little more clear on this, because Jesus Christ, let's assume that he did uh, rise from the dead. He, he didn't obviously complete his life on the planet Earth. The story is, is that he rose to heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and so is, I, I thought that resurrection, uh, the spirit lives... Uh, a physical reappears in the same physical body and then continues living in physical form on one of the three kingdoms. Mm-hmm. It, is I mean, well, that, because because yeah, it, another question there. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess my question is, I want to get clear whether we're talking about the, a a real eternal physical existence or whether that physical existence after reincarnation then gets interrupted and like Jesus Christ we rise to a, a spiritual realm somewhere else well what's interesting about that is, is the, the resurrection once once the resurrection happens and the spirit and the body come back together they're no longer separated right so when Jesus appeared before his apostles in the locked room they were afraid they, they thought it was a spirit which, which makes you think you can't really tell the difference between a spirit and a resurrected being just by looking at it. Right. But he said, no, I'm not a spirit. Handle me. Touch me. I have flesh and bones. Feel the wounds in my hands and my feet. Right. Even ate some fish and honeycomb. Right. Right? Right. And then with that body, he ascended up into heaven, and then you have the angels there that saying, the same Jesus that you see go up into heaven will come back in like manner. So he's got that physical body. It, 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 he's got it for eternity. That's it. Right, right. I guess, but he he didn't live mm-hmm. out his life on the planet Earth. I I thought that there was going to be a resurrection of physical bodies on yes. the physical Earth. Well, I mean, he he did live out his life. He had a, a short lifespan. That was the time th- that he needed. I see. And then he um, returned up uh, t- um, to the abode of God to be with his Father, and um, also did many other things. Um, the Book of Mormon actually says that the resurrected Jesus came and visited uh, people on the American continent, and then the, he suggested he might have other people he would need to visit. So, um, in many ways, Jesus kind of is our prototype, but because of his nature as the Son of God and uh, as God, he is doing other things that we don't need to. Um, but the idea is that there is a space for for mankind, for, for, for most of us, between death and the resurrection. For Jesus, it was very short. It was the, you know, right. rose on the third day. For us, there is a space in between death and the resurrection in which spirits dwell in what we call a spirit world, which we believe is here on this earth. Right. And that for most people, resurrection is a future event, and not all people will be resurrected at the same time. Um, the more righteous resurrected first, the wicked will be resurrected at the end, but they will be resurrected. So um, that there is a space between that death and resurrection in which the spirit is living in the spirit world and has things to do. Well, the nice thing about resurrection, among other, I mean, it, it gives hope in some ways. Oh, yeah. But also, also, 
it to me it would satisfy the scientific mind if it really occurs mm-hmm. because because what we're talking about is we're talking about a, a spirit you reuniting with the physical form and we don't have to I mean it's going to take something more than the story of Jesus Christ in the New Testament for our modern day scientists you know that people like Richard Dawkins yeah. and 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 that and, and Michael Shermer and that whole group they're not going to uh, accept the concept of resurrection unless they see it with their own eyes, or unless they do yeah, it, or or yeah, unless I'm, they experience I'm sure they, it. They won't uh, until they eventually see it. Which, well, right, you know, right. And there's nothing they will someday. Right, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think that you know, there's nothing wrong with doubting something like this. I mean, on the other hand, I mean, if I don't know if we have time to to go there. On the other hand, we have people like that believing in all sorts of other things that can't be proven either. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, such as the multiverse is, is my best example right now. But mm-hmm. but anyways, Daniel, let's you know this this has been this has been really interesting. I I like to uh, talk a little bit about where science fits in uh, to the to LDS. Mm-hmm. What is what is the LDS relationship to science? Well, we would hope that it's a very a very good one. Um, we don't, in truth, we don't view science and religion as being opposed, and that any contradiction between the two is just because of our limited understanding. The true religion encompasses true science, and true science encompasses true religion. We also don't believe in a god of magic who breaks laws. For us, um, our belief in God is in a being who understands the, the laws of science and physics, everything that we know and more that we don't know, and has such complete power over them that he uses them. And so we don't we don't view miracles as breaking natural laws, but as using existing laws in a way we don't understand. We view the creation as being a natural event, not a supernatural event or an unusual event. Um, so. Um, there have been many um, um, uh, great LDS thinkers and scholars who have been scientists, and we tend not to get really bogged down in the silly debates people do now with creationism or evolution or things like that. Um, so we, we believe that God works through laws and works through the sciences, but just has a greater understanding of them than, than, than we do. So, in other words, would you agree with the statement that God is the laws of nature? No. Okay. Uh, that seems to be more of like maybe a, a pantheistic belief. Okay. So we would separate God from the laws. We okay. would say that God understands and uses the laws, but that God is not the laws of nature. Okay, that's that would inter- be our view. Okay, that's interesting because you know it brings up. The the famous art the famous argument against miracles is by David Hume and you probably know about it and just just for the listener David Hume being the 18th century great Scottish philosopher probably one of the top five to ten uh, philosophers and thinkers of all time uh, who said that miracles can't uh, cannot occur because it's so much more likely for 
uh, for physical events to occur along a normal pattern or to believe that regularity rules the day then that these physical laws are disrupted and therefore miracles cannot occur now this is one of the few uh, points by the way that I just I personally disagree with Hume on this and I actually Daniel I would agree with where your overall view of this uh, that we that what we call miracles are really just different events <laughs> they're just yeah. different it's not as if I think it's a little it's a little uh, absurd to say that they that they don't occur or they can't occur because we don't understand so much and I I I actually have an article that I published in Veritas magazine in in Australia on this topic basically saying that science itself is based upon miracles I mean the the first law of thermodynamics for example says that matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed well then how did the Big Bang occur I mean it's it's that's a a, a violation of the first law of, thermodyn of, of thermodynamics. It's a very interesting topic. Okay, Daniel, with regard to uh, paranormal events and specifically things like clairvoyance, ESP, mind over matter, does Mormonism have a, a stance with regard to these claimed events? We really don't have any official position on that. Uh, for myself personally, I don't really like the terms, say, supernatural or paranormal, because I view everything as being natural and normal, just things operating in ways that you know we don't you know quite uh, understand. I mean, uh, how much of, of say you know subatomic physics would not make a whole lot of sense to you know say Newtonian physics, right? But um, that, that these that perhaps it's possible. We definitely believe there is a world of spirit, and it's right here in uh, on our world. And that the veil between the spirit world and the physical world sometimes can be very thin, and that people can perhaps be allowed to see things, or to to witness things, or, or to know things, um, in kind of in the whole economy of God's plan. So, you know, no definite position one way or the other, but certainly um, you know, open to the idea. I think. Well, what about uh, obviously? We've talked a lot about life after death, which mm -hmm. which a lot of, which people would put into uh, the category of the paranormal. But what about do, do you do you see any any evidence or any help from all these stories about you know the after about about life after death experiences that people are having or or near death experiences? Um, and that's been something I think we've had a great interest in uh, for a long time. The scientific community seems like is really addressing that topic seriously these days. But I remember, you know, um, being introduced to the topic a long time ago. Was it um, Return from Tomorrow? It was a book written a long time ago about where these kind of NDEs were, kind of, were sort of the story was told about them. So we would say definitely yes that that may happen. That you know a person might be, you know very near death, go into the spirit world and be and, and be shown some things and then be allowed to come back if his mission on this earth was not complete uh, and maybe he needs to be shown something for his particular need. I don't know, but we certainly are would be open to that. And there are all kinds of um, perhaps anecdotal stories, but uh, stories even within my own family 
about people who, on the death of a, of, of a loved one, have received some type of message or some type of information, that loved ones certainly can, it, it, for, for a certain reason, get some, that messages can co- come across. Our belief is that anything like that would happen in God's plan if it was necessary, and basically from the side of the spirit world to this side, that you can't necessarily initiate the communication here to the spirit world through means of spiritualism, Ouija boards, or things like that. We wouldn't really believe in that type of thing, but that the communication can occur. You know, usually, it's, it's uh, I guess it would be like, um, you know, we can't make the call, but sometimes we could receive it. Yeah, that well, that's uh, that's that's really interesting. And the at the end of the day, the the beauty of viewing the the physical world and phenomena from different perspectives, such as uh, such as Mormonism, is that I, I really think it adds to the grandeur of the world we live in. Because when we when we look at science and all the things it cannot explain and we look at even even anecdotal you say evidence of near-death experiences miracles uh, what other what some people call the supernatural the belief in in the resurrection I think what it says is that we really live in an enchanted world full of mystery full of things we don't understand and I'd like to thank you Daniel for spending some time with us and giving us, I think, some real helpful insights into Mormonism, which I which I think is a really uh, misunderstood uh, religion. So I, I think so too, and I'm just trying to you know clear up so that the misunderstanding goes away. Well, it you know, and it's not as if I mean, let we we haven't talked uh, about so many other topics, but but at this day and age, people want to make up their own minds about the big questions, and all we can do. I think is expose people to the world of ideas and the world of beliefs and really what's important I think is to show the similarities and the overlaps and what I said earlier I really believe that nobody really understands the mind of God we all we all are just sort of guessing and and at the end of the day we know that things like the golden rule have to be true. The Ten Commandments have to make sense, and it's these basic principles, I hope, that would carry us forward. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Daniel, thank you very, very much for your time. I will probably ask you to come back a little bit because there's a lot of, of issues under Mormonism we haven't had a chance to talk about. But once again, thank you for to. your time. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.